Scripture reading today is from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Sophie. Move this thing up here a little bit. There we go. Good morning and welcome again. We today are wrapping up our series on Redeemer LSQ DNA, the essence of Redeemer, the building blocks of who we are and what we're about, what we're trying to be, what we want to be, and where we're going. Today we get to answer perhaps my favorite question of all time. It's the, what I call the so what question. It's a very New York question. I remember a couple years ago I was on a subway platform and somebody littered, and of course when there's other people around, you knew what was going to happen. Somebody was like, hey, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you littering? And you kind of knew what was going to happen after that. The person looked at, the, at an individual, shrugged their shoulders, and said, so what? <laughs> it's a very New York answer. Uh, I, but, this is an, this is a, but this is a question you asked too. When you are doing projects late at night, when you are pulling all-nighters for your work, when you're killing yourself deep in the bowels of who you are, there's a part of you who says, why am I doing this? Of course, the question beneath that question is really actually, so what? It's an existentially rich question. It's one that our culture is asking. Did you know that polls are showing that Americans, this is the first time in American history that Americans believe that the next generation is going to have it worse than the previous generation? Every generation to date has always said, oh, the next generation is going to be better. But right now, today, we say it's not the case. And I think the reason why is we look around and we see inflation is up. We see life expectancy is down. We see that polarization is up. We see overt racist slurs against Asian Americans are up. We see all—we see mass shootings. Mass shootings are up. We see all these things. And the question we're asking culturally is, are we all just going to kind of shrug and and say, so what? Or what else can we do? And so I, I believe that Redeemer Lincoln Square, it's in our DNA to try to answer this question. The so what question. And not answer it just for yourself, not just answer it for this church, but answer it for the world. And I think to answer it, you have to first answer three other questions. And these questions are this. It's what's going to propel us, what's going to sustain us, and what's going to comfort us? So to to answer so what, we first have to answer 
what propels us, what sustains us, and what's going to comfort us. Let's do that today. First, what propels us. Propulsion is a, an energy. It is a, a force that powers. And the writer of Revelation, John, is living in a time when the Roman emperor is attacking Christians, killing them in droves, hanging them on pikes, lighting them on fire, literally to uh, put light in his palace or on the, the road, the Roman roads. Few Christians have ever faced more suffering than the first century Christians. And of course, while they're going through this, you know they're asking, why should I go on? Which is really, again, the question, so what? And John, in this text, is trying to give them the propulsion to do so. And he does it in, in two ways. There's a twofold answer here. Let's go to our text. The first way, number one, is in verse one, where he says that, I saw he has this vision of the future where there is no longer any sea. Now, some of you are going, wait a second, how's that a propulsion device? How, how's the fact that there's, there's no sea? What if you like the sea? What if you're an ocean-type person? Maybe you like seafood or beaches or sand. Why, is it, why are you taking my sea away? And what you need to understand is you have to kind of go, put yourself into ancient Near East history. Put yourself into the Ark of the Bible, and what you will find is the ocean, the sea, these large bodies of water were always considered, for ancient people, bad. It was unpredictable. It was a place where there were shipwrecks and brokenness and chaos. In Genesis chapter 1, what happens when there was nothing? There's just this water. And then you also have the flood. It was water that destroyed things. And then Jonah gets swallowed by a mysterious beast of the sea. And so the ocean and the sea over and over again it stood for a sign of chaos and trouble and brokenness. And what John is trying to say is in the future, that chaos, that craziness, that uncertainty that the ocean represents is over. Number one. Two, secondly, look at the next verse. He sees, I see the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven to earth. And I believe you go to, now go down to verse 5, and, and the one seat on the throne, I am making everything or all things new. And if you add these phrases together, well, here's what's going on. This passage in Revelation is trying to say, your future is a space where this world, the hope for this world, is, is that it's going to be in absolute glory and beauty and joy and justice and light. It's assured. It's real. It's going to happen. And it's not up there in the clouds. It's not some ethereal, mystical, existential world. No, it's this physical world fixed and remade and renewed, and it comes down. And let me try to tell you something. This vision of the world is completely and utterly unique to other, other view, any other view out there. How do I know that? If you go to Eastern religions. All or most Eastern religions essentially say at the end of everything, in the future, you lose your personality. That this idea of, of, of uh, self, this idea of individuality, this idea of even pain and suffering, the world, the idea of a world is that is actually false. It's an illusion. And it's going to go away. Which, by the way, that cheapens the physical world. It says this isn't actually really real. Now, in contrast 
look at the Western kind of secular view out there. The Western secular view says the physical world is all that there is. And yet, that means then after this physical world, there is nothing else. And what we're all wrestling with right now, what's happening is we're told in today's current narrative that you come from, you've, been, you've evolved from nothing, so you've come from insignificance. And yet one day, when you die, and you're rotting in the, gr- in the ground, that means you basically are insignificant again. And the whole modern idea is, how do we have significance in between this idea that there's insignificance on both sides? That's essentially what we're living in right now. That you've come from insignificance, you're going to go, but somehow you're supposed to have significance in between. And what that means then, in this Western view, if the earth is circling around the sun, the sun is a finite bit of energy, and one day that energy will go away, and that means everything is going to die and perish. Ironically, the Western view says the same thing as the Eastern view, which is that none of this eventually is going to matter. That when people ask that existential so what question, the answer that most people say is eventually the future is nothing. That there's really not love, right? The Eastern view says love is an illusion. The Western view says, yeah, you feel that, but that's just chemical processes that have been put into your brain to make you feel that way so that you pass on your genes to the next generation. So at the end of the day, you can try to live a good life, you can try to to feel like you have meaning, but it's just through ignoring the reality of what's really going on. So whether you're a serial killer or somebody trying to work for justice, both individuals, both their efforts won't matter in the end. Christianity says something different. Christianity is the only view that says, by the way, your future is not harps and halos and wings. It's not some ethereal future. It's also not you know, sitting up with God with a bunch of virgins. That's, there are other, other religious views that say that your future is this disbo- disembodied world. No, Christian, which you, when you look in the actual text and say, what does it actually say about the future? Christianity says it's this world fixed and remade. Notice, and look, go down to verse 5 again. The one who's seated on the throne, I am making all things new. This is important. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, I'm making all new things. If he said, I'm making all new things, you know what that means? It means none of this really matters. Old things don't matter. No, no, no. He's saying, I'm making all things new, which means this world does matter. And because of that, this physical world has a a place in the future. That is a propulsion device for us going forward. And that's what John is doing here. He's saying, this is what propels us. How do I know that? Um, when I lived in Boston, I invited uh, jo- uh, Johnny, Johnny Erickson Tata to a retreat to do a church that I was working at up there. And Joni actually had a terrible, tragic accident when she was 18. Uh, it was a swimming accident where she was paralyzed. She still is from the neck down. She's been in a wheelchair her entire life. And I remember talking to her and she was saying how she loved to go still visit horse farms and see the stables and see the horses because she liked to imagine what she used to be able to do, which is ride those horses. And I used to say to her, I remember I actually said this to her, I said, why would you put yourself through that kind of, of torture to think about all the things that you can't do? And what she did was is she looked at me and she said, with this, I, I still can see her face, the kindness on her face. She goes, Michael, you don't understand. 
I will ride again. I will swim again. I will walk again. Because only the Christian faith says, in my future is a renewed spinal cord. In my future is the ability to walk on this earth again. And then she went on for our church at the retreat to tell everyone, I'm going to dance and you're going to dance. And if that's true, that's a propulsion device, not just for her, not just for these early Christians, it's for you today. So I'm going to try to be as blunt as I can be. I believe that you can't actually escape the so what question. I think everybody in this world is asking it. You have to at some level. And if you're not a Christian, I think you should take yourself seriously and ask yourself, does your view of the future right now support how you're living now? Does it support your behaviors today? And if you are a Christian, you should ask yourself, am I actually accessing the resources that are available for me? But that may be your biggest problem today. See, I think most of us think our problem is circumstantial. It's, it's, it's physical issues. It's my job. It's my friends or, my la- or lack thereof. But if the early Christians had a worse life than you, and John thought that what they needed was this propulsion device, then how are we accessing that? Because I believe this is the power to re-enter into relationships after, after the, the um, pandemic. It's to re-enter into friendships. It's to go into community groups. It's to go into work. It's to go into our neighborhood again and again and again to serve our neighbors. And chaos and suffering, this is saying, is going to be gone one day, but cupcakes without monosaturated fat is going to be there. Or if there is monosaturated fat, you know what? It's not going to kill us. And you know what else is going to be in heaven, on earth? Brownies. And if you don't like brownies, you're not going to be there. Because brownies are going to be there. Because everything good is going to be there. It's true. Light, beauty, breezes, sunsets, it's all going to be there. And what's not going to be there, it's, it's going to be miscarriages, trauma, cancer, the broken relationships that you have with loved ones that you don't have anymore, that you are walking wounded with because they've done something to you, because you did something to them, maybe a little bit of both. That's what won't be there. And knowing that propels us in this world. Number one. All right, number two. It sustains us. How? This is the, I want you to memorize this phrase. What you believe about the future affects you today. I'll say it again. What you believe about the future isn't just for the future. It's the hope that you can have today. A number of years ago, I, um, uh, a friend of mine at uh, the school my daughter goes to said, hey, let's go to the Equal Justice Initiative installment at the Brooklyn Museum. It was, up, it was up here for a while, and the, the installment was titled the, the, Leg- the Legacy of Lynching. 
And that installment now resides at the permanent museum that's down in Montgomery, Alabama. But it detailed 4,000 documented lynchings that happened to African Americans between 1877 and 1950. And that's just the documented ones. There are many more that were never documented. And you read their names and you saw their stories and it was just an overwhelming space to be in. To realize the generational brokenness that's still ongoing, that's still with us. Right, 1950, not so long ago. Countless lives affected. There is so much brokenness in this world. And yes, we have a propulsion device that gives us the power and the stamina to tackle complex systemic and personal knotted spaces. But it can't just be the propulsion. It has to sustain us too. And I think it does so in two ways. One, patience. Two, uh, uh, also presence. Patience and presence. Where do you see patience? Go back to our text. If, if look at verse 5. If, if the one seated on the throne is making all things new, that verb is in the active tense. It's present. It's, it's ongoing. That means all things haven't been made new. Also, the holy city, verse 2, is coming down. Two little words, coming down, means by definition is it's not actually here yet. That this is actually something that still has to happen. And that means it's not yet. It's going to take time. Martin Luther King knew this when he said the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. He knew that. And then when he was assassinated and 50,000 people sung the gospel song at his funeral, we shall overcome. You can't do that unless you're being sustained. Unless there's a level of, of resource that you can access in the space of the brokenness. And what I want to say to you is this. I don't know what brokenness, I don't know what devastation that you personally have been through. Everybody here has individual stories. Everybody has different arcs. And I don't know what you're going to have to face because we don't even know what's in the future. But we will be sustained knowing what will come. At the end of The Lord of the Rings, there's this scene where Frodo and Gandalf are they're going back home to the Shire. And yet Gandalf sees there's something wrong with Frodo, and so he says, are you in pain, Frodo? And he says, yes, it's my shoulder. It's the, the, the wound aches, and the memory of darkness is heavy on me. It was one year ago today. And if you don't know, he was stabbed by a blade, and a bit of that blade had broken off and still resided in him. It was still tormenting him. And so Gandalf replied, he said, Alas, there are some wounds that cannot be wholly cured. I fear it may be so with mine, said Frodo. There is no real going back. Though I may come to the Shire, it will, it will not seem the same, for I shall not be the same. Where shall I find rest? Friends, some of you have really deep wounds. Some of you have wounds that will not heal on this side of the cross. Some of you have hurts that will never be fully healed. And you'll never be the same. And even though you've been deeply hurt, you've been stabbed by bits of blade that is still residing in your life and in your soul. What you need to hear is not you're insignificant, you're going to go to insignificance. It's not that none of this really matters. What you need to hear is that the Lord of the Lord, the King of Kings, is going to wipe away every tear Look at verse 4. 
There will be no more death or mourning or crying, for the old things have passed away. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. The Greek, in the Greek, it's actually really cool. It's not a smearing of tears. It says he's going to wipe every individual tear away. And that's the only thing that's going to give you patience to sustain you from here on out. That he's there ready to not just smear your face, not to allow your eyes to stay puffy, but to individually dab each tear off your face. That gives us patience. But secondly, it gives us presence. What presence? Look at verse 3. The voice from the throne says, Look, my dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and he will be their God. And this is really hard to overstate. The entire Bible starts with us losing God's presence. The entire Bible talks about individual people, Abraham, David, Moses, the people of Israel, get to have his presence in a way. I'll be their God, right? And they'll be my people. But finally here we get that presence. Do you know this, that babies, when they're first born, they actually can't see very, very well. In fact, unless you get right up in their face, they really can't see you. Which is why, you know, if that was me, I'd probably cry a lot. Babies cry a lot. But when you ever get in front of a baby and, and you smile and you get in their presence, literally your presence changes them as they smile, as they see you, they light up. That's us. Most of us regularly complain, I don't feel God's presence. I don't see God's presence. That's because he's not, or you can't see him. He's not there to dab your eyes, to dry your tears. But this is saying that is our future, and that does sustain us. Famed Jewish Holocaust survivor Viktor Frankl, after the war, World War II, he set out as a psychiatrist to try to study why did some people survive while other people didn't? And he wanted, he wanted to know where the correlations were. Was it mostly men who survived? Was it mostly women? Was it the smart? Was it the young because they had more energy? And you know what he found? He found it wasn't any of those correlations. In fact, the more you put your life into something that the Nazis could take away or that the world could take away, you know what he found? If you put your life in your kids and your kids were taken away, you died. If you put your life into your job and your job was taken away, you died. If you put your life into your money or your stuff or your status, and that when that was taken away, you died. What he found was the correlation to people who actually lived were, was that if you put your meaning in something that was beyond this world, that, that couldn't be taken away from you, that suffering couldn't steal from you, you lived. And so I, I read that, and I see that, and I, I want to ask you, is your life dotted with examples of being sustained and staying and preserving because you have the hope of the future in your life today? Do you have that? Or let me ask it a little bit broader. What's your hope in? What's sustaining you right now? Whatever it is, please don't say, oh, I'm a Christian. I theoretically, I, in, I intellectually believe this. This is something you have to access every day, every hour. Because guess what? That, the nervousness shows up. The anxiety shows up. The sadness shows up. Your mind races at night. You think about all the implications. You think about all the things that have to happen. That's one you have to access the most. Who's on the throne? Who's making all things new? Whose kingdom is coming? Whose dwelling place are you in right now? That is what sustains us. Now, lastly, what comforts? What's going to comfort us? 
Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was on a, a Peloton bike. I, I don't own one, but my building does. It's broken most of the time, but it was working uh, a couple weeks ago. And the instructor was telling me to pedal harder. So I was pedaling harder. And uh, by the end of, of sort of the exercise, there's one space that the instructor looked at me and said, I don't want to be cheesy, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm proud of you. I'm, I'm really, really proud of you. And you can laugh about it, but you know what? For a split second, you know what? I, I, I was like, yeah. Oh, man. This is lovely. For a split second, I was elated. I was content. I felt accepted. I was, it's, it's, it, it was weird. I felt deeply connected. It was a thing that I had always wanted. And I don't know. I mean, you can psychoanalyze me. Was it dad wounds? Was it mom wounds? Is it... Is it friend wounds? Is it, is it work wounds? Is it just being human wounds? But for a half second, I was like, all right, yes. <laughs> it was half a second, though, because in the, the next half second, I realized he was looking at a camera, and this was recorded. <laughs> I mean, I was like, he doesn't know me. He wasn't saying this to me. He, I mean, who, who else was he? He wasn't thinking of me. And all of a sudden, it kind of turned to ash. I was like, oh, I did, I, how much money did they just make off of me? You know, I, I just felt all of a sudden commodified and, 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 you know, all the consumerism right there. Because he wasn't saying it to me. He wasn't saying it personally to you. What if, what if we could actually have the acceptance and the love and the care that we all crave, that we all want what if the creator God of the universe actually is able to give that to you, not in the future, but can look at you right now and say, I'm proud of you. I love you. I accept you. I went through heaven and earth to get you. What if you could have that right now? Right? Death is, is the great equalizer. For everybody in this room, death will take everything away from us. Either you will leave them, your friends, or they will leave you. Either you will leave your stuff or they, it will leave you. But what this text is saying is that you can have the acceptance and the care now. How? Go look at verse 6. It says, why? I'm going to give water to the thirsty. This is amazing. Who gets this? Those who are thirsty. Why do you get it if you're thirsty? Because you want it. And this is, there's a whole other sermon here which I, we can't do, but notice it's not who's good enough. It's not who's believes hard enough. It's not who's nice enough. It's not those who get it. It's just those who know their need. Now, why do they get it? It's, look in verse 6, because it's done. You say, what's that about? Well, the writer of Revelation was the writer of the Gospel of John, and if you go to John 19, the very last words that Jesus said was, it is finished. You know what he said right before it is finished, the verse before? I thirst. John is making a connection here, and he's saying, because Jesus thirsts cosmically, you and I no longer thirst, ultimately. And even though we thirst temporally, right now, it will never be fully, because we have Him, because we have, we have what He's done. And what has He done? You get the finished, accomplished work of the cross. Because Jesus thirsted, we will never actually have to thirst. Because all that was poured out on Him, all the the over-desiring and under-desiring all the hurt and injustice of the world that you participate in or that you don't actually care to fix, 
or that you and I just sort of blind ourselves away from the so what questions of life. He's paid for, and we get access now again through him. So this, guys, this is so simple and so hard. At, on one level, it's simple. All you have to need is need. You know when it's hard? Because a lot of us don't know our need. When I was 17 years old, my uncle was 40. He was dying in a hospice. And I remember being in a room with him alone. He was crying, but he couldn't cry because his tear ducts were dried up. And he was lamenting. He was very bitter about the fact that he felt that he had wasted his life, that he wasn't going to be able to affect other people. And he lamented being unable to help change the world. And I, I remember as a 17-year-old, I said to him, I said, Uncle Billy, you changed me. You affected me. And I'm going to see you again, and I get to tell you all the ways how that actually changed the world. Because I saw his need. I saw his heart, and it, it reminded me of my own. And it moved me. Friends, this thirst-quenching reality in your life, if you believe what Jesus actually says here, this hope can never be taken from you. This is in us, not just a propulsion system, not just as a sustaining system, but the comfort that you and I have to have. And if that's true, guess what? I can tell you right now, the worst thing that could possibly ever happen to you eventually always ends in death. If this is true, all death can do is bring you closer to him, which means more life. So death turns into life. And guess what? If that death doesn't happen yet— then we can live in the here and now, living in light of the truth, means every day is a victory to some level. Let's say you were fired yesterday. You're, you know why it's a victory? Because you're one step closer to him. Let's say you find out that you got some health alert, some problem. You're still one step closer to him in victory. All bad news ends up meaning that I'll be closer to him. Theologian Herman Bavink, I think, put it better than anyone in his— um, book on Revelation, he said this, the Christian lives in the future, and the future lives in him. Let me say it again. The Christian lives in the future, but the future lives in them. If that's true, then if the future right now currently is living in you, that means all the future healing that's to come is actually presently in you. And that means the broken blades of, of hurt that are in you is being counteracted by the, the future glory and healing that is ha will happen is happening now in you. It's a, a, a powerful thought that the future city of all things new is residing in you through Jesus today. And so guess what? If, if you feel broken, when you feel broken, if you feel hurt, if you feel weak, if you feel like I can't make it, I don't know how I'm going to make it. It's October. I've talked with many of you the, the past couple months, and because we Spent so much time changing our schedules up when the pandemic happened. Now we're changing them back to what we were like before. We're just exhausted all the time. When you feel that way, what this is saying is, even when we don't feel it put together, whoever you are, it's not going to stay that way. Not ever. And so we have to let our work be affected by the fact that the future means that all work will have its final end in a completed relationship with him. Do we live in light of that? Let your desire for justice be affected by the coming final justice. It's assured, and that means you don't give up, but you, don't also, you also don't not start. If you put yourself further into it. Let the patience for others in the, this church be affected by that patience. And so to end, Redeemer Lincoln Square, this is our DNA. This 
is what we go down deeper into. When suffering hits, we drink from the spring of living water, but we have that future today. And if you know that, all things are being made new. We can today go out those doors and throw ourselves into reckless abandon, knowing come what may, we'll be with him. There are so many implications. I'm gonna give you, I'll give you two quick ones. One, if you live knowing that whatever is going to happen right now, whatever you're going through right now has an ending, that's going to propel you, it's going to sustain you, it's going to comfort you in any and every situation. I don't, I don't know what it is, but it will, number one. But number two, those who say, hey, your belief in this means that you're not going to care about this world because they think, you think, they think you're just caring about some other future world. No, no, no. It's this world fixed and remade. That gives infinite value to every hour that you spend on this world because it is part of the future redemption and restoration of all of creation. And if that's true, and this is going to last forever, then the assurance of a tomorrow gives us the power and the energy to sustain today. Every Sunday, you know what we do? We, sing, we, we read a prayer, the Lord's Prayer, where we say, Thy kingdom come where? On earth. Friends, why should you adopt? Thy kingdom come on earth. Why should you love? Thy kingdom come on earth. Why should you forgive and repent and serve and give and be part of this world? It's because thy kingdom come. That's why you do taxes. That's why you take a shower. It's all the same. Your tears will be wiped away one day, and everything sad is going to become untrue, and we need to live in light of that for today, from tomorrow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is such a wide-sweeping view, and some of us say it's too good to be true. I pray if that's true, if that's the case, I pray this would make us explore and be curious. Help us to see that the other so what answers out there pale in comparison to what's being promised here. In fact, often we live off of the broad currency of a Christian worldview today, and we don't even know it. So I just pray that we put ourselves further into your love, further into your grace, further into thirsting for you. Help us to see our thirst, to recognize it, and then drink deeply from what you've given us. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.